Welcome back to the second pilot of The Drop. I'm Danny Johnson and I'm recording this episode immediately after the conclusion of the second Surf 100 event that just finished at North Point in West Oz. And what an incredible show. If you missed it, it's not too late. Just head to surf100.tv to purchase a pay-per-view there. And of course, if you can't afford it, we don't want you to miss out. So please get in contact and we'll supply you with a free code. To do that, just email surf100 at stabmag.com and someone will get back to you there. And I promise the, the chat just between the commentary team, commentary team, Dane, Salima Masakela, Yad Nickel, it, it's just, it's worth it on its own. So this episode, we're going to chat to Jake Patterson, but firstly, let's recap the week in surfing that just passed, a little wrap of the week, if you will. So Nike or Nike, if you're in America, is back. News that Nike has made its way back into surfing, but not all that glitters is gold. You might remember when Nike, awash with cash, put it down in, in the surf universe when they first arrived on the scene. Surfers became athletes. There were ads of Kolohe sitting on exercise bikes and a lot of other weird and completely unrelatable stuff. But, you know, and then there was the handling of their team and the contracts. There was coaches, there was trainers, personal chefs and even full-time minders. They introduced the million-dollar world title bonus and, and then this all imploded when Nike left surf and they transferred their entire team over to Hurley brand that they'd recently purchased and we've all heard that story before so I mean what does it mean that they've moved back into surf I think unfortunately for pro surfers um, that have across the board just suffered massive pay cuts in 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 their sponsor contracts it, it won't be the opulent industry booster that was that that first time looks like Nike's re-entry into surf will be be pretty light there'll be no sponsoring surfers or just you know smaller contracts if they do and and rather it'll just, the product will just be a few product lines and they'll be directed at surfers, but it won't even be like a full wholehearted effort from Nike. It's just solely a licensee deal, probably a few swimwear um, items here and there. And, and Nike will be back, but in, in such a small way, it probably won't put a dent in the industry like it did last time. And the Wazzle was back this week. The Tweed Coast Pro was the WSL's return to competition in Australia. And... Ethan Ewing and Tyler Wright were the winners. Tyler, the two-time world champ, she pretty much blitzed everyone on the women's side. And it's safe to say now that her recovery, at least on a physical level, is just is complete. She's back to 100%, maybe even higher than that. She, she truly looked incredible and, and pretty much unstoppable. There wasn't a heat that she, that she looked like she was going to lose. But I think the biggest story was the breakthrough performance from Ethan, Ethan Ewing, on the winner on the, on the male side. So, I mean, a little backstory on Ethan. He arrived on tour in 2018. He fell off at the end of 2018 and then he sat out 2019 but requalified again that year on the QS for the 2020 tour season that never happened. And he's just been sharpening his knife this year in 2021 and he took down the Tweed Coast Pro that finished on Monday. I was actually at the event and I, I chatted to Ethan before the final and I actually went to shake his hand, which he swiftly denied. He's a, a strict adherer to the COVID social distancing, which I wholeheartedly respect. There was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of really strict COVID regulations going down at the event. But I, I mean, it, I have to admit it hurt a lot. 
I've just I've just always wanted to touch a winner, I guess. And that was my chance. But I mean, Ethan was just he couldn't really fault his approach and, and he definitely did the most exciting surfing throughout the event. And I mean, his surfing, it's it's just noted all the time at nauseam that his surfing is a blend of Andy and Andy Irons and Mick Fanning. And and there really is no denying that. You can't really say that enough. It's just it's just there every time you watch him surf. And I think after this event, the real question is what does it mean? And, you know, is he as good as we think he is? Is he the the prodigy talent that we, you know, that we all hope he is, I guess, if you're an Australian surf fan. And we're going to chat to Snake, Jake Patterson, normally said Jake Snake Patterson, about Ethan. And he's actually worked with Ethan before as a coach. But, I mean, one question on, on a lot of people's lips was, was he only looking so gifted at this event because there weren't any Brazilians there for him to be compared to? And that's a fair question. But if... Ethan's junior career is anything to go off. He was so incredibly consistent and so dominant. If he can find those legs as um, as an adult when the tour resumes, then you know he could he could be that that unstoppable force. I mean, he's 22 now. He's definitely in that window where a lot of people will do their their best surfing and have their most successful years and. And it's an interesting thing to consider. What is the the ultimate age to be a pro surfer? Kelly Slater kind of fooled us when he won a million world titles and, and he started making it seem realistic that you could win world titles into your 30s. And I don't know if that's right. I mean, if you look at Julian and Geordie, is, is their time done? They're into their 30s now. And if you really sort of start to analyze world titles of the past, that it, it, it really paints a different picture for for what's possible. Andy Irons, his world titles were in 2002, 2003, 2004, which makes him 24, 25 and 26 when he won his. Mick Fanning was born in 81. His world titles were 07, 09, 2013, which makes him 26, 28 and 32. And then Gabe, who was born in 93, his world titles were 2014, 2018. So he was 20 and 24. And then Kelly, of course, uh, he, you know, won his last when he was 39. So he he wrecks everything. But he really might be that outlier. Like Kelly's such a freak. If you if you start to look at other people, like, I mean, look at Mike Ho. Mike Ho is 63 and, and still surfing Pipeline. And based on that, you could assume that Kelly will still be out there when he's 75. And that's without even factoring in bionic legs and um, robot arms. And maybe even some sort of time travel. I don't know. What is, who is Kelly even? He's like some sort of necromancer, zombie, um, crossbreed type situation. But, I mean, talking of Kelly, let's talk about his runaways in Bali. He's, he's in Indonesia at the moment. He's paid the money to travel during the border restrictions and he's just got regular day trips to G-Land. He's been getting waves in Bali, um, all over the island. It's, it's like it's the 70s and... And I mean, it's, it's entertaining for us, but it's a divided world. So, I mean, where do you sit on this? Is it unethical for Kelly to be there right now and, and promoting his time in Bali? And I think if you have a problem with it, you should get on Instagram and just uh, let him know because he will reply to any form of criticism on there, it seems. 
In other news this week, Albie Layer, Matt Miola, John John and Nathan Florence released an edit. The clip was mostly things we've seen before, which was these these guys stomping exceptional airs in, in those windblown Maui waves that they surf a lot. And one thing's for sure, based on the opening that I, I realised was that my Spotify suggestions would not look like these guys. That music, it, it just... It confused me. Simon there too, Lord knows got holes in my memory. My natural emotional response to that earnest and, and cinematic music they used at that start of that feed was just that these guys landing airs is a really, really sad thing. And uh, maybe it is. I don't know. But one thing that we hadn't seen was Nathan Florence landing backflips and just riding out smooth like it's no big deal. And I don't know if you remember Nathan Florence's air game just a couple of years ago he was uh, it was like it was a self-initiated joke from from him that he couldn't do airs and he started a thing called air camp and he would ask people tips and we'd make videos about not being able to do airs and then it's just it's mind-blowing that he's come such a such a long way in such a short time it reminded me of i don't know if you remember or if you've ever heard the story of roger bannister who ran the first four minute mile which was back in the 50s or something but people have been trying to break that record for a long time trying to run a mile in under four minutes and then no one could do it and then old Rog does it and then suddenly hundreds of other people can do it shortly after and I'm not exactly sure if that's how it happened but the point is that it's all in the mind people and if you apply that same analogy to being John John's brother all you need to do is look what's happening next to you and you can basically do anything can you imagine being like John John's brother and, and what you would think was possible? Let's flip now to the interview. I'm sure you know who Jake the Snake Patterson is. He's a former world tour surfer, turned elite level coach, and he's, I'd have to say, he's widely considered one of the best competitive mind surfing has ever seen. So I chatted to Jake about Surf 100, Ethan Ewing, and what it's like to destroy Andy Irons in a lot of heats. Really enjoyed it. It was pretty hard to listen to myself, but um, I the guys put on a great show. Um, you know, I, I reckon the editing crew did a great job of uh, putting it together. I mean, there was only, you know, there was only a dead time for a little bit there. The the background stories and stuff was sick. And can we just talk about North Point as a wave itself because it's such a heavy wave, and and you can see that from the footage. But from everyone I chat to that surfs out there, it's even you know a lot heavier than what it looks have you had any beatings out there or oh 100 like those guys were making it look so easy they were saying there's no one out and i mean there was still 40 guys in the lineup but what that kind of meant was there's only the the group in the back peak where they were taking off like for a moment they were the only four guys sitting there so um it's it's a heavy wave it's like you, you saw ollie's wave i mean he made that drop look pretty easy but that was a gnarly drop and uh, I've broken a heap of boards out there. I've been, I've been washed in, like almost hit the point before. Um, I've hit the bottom out there, out the back before. Um, yeah, I've had some big beatings out there. And, and you know, that triple up, double up bit on the end, like that can really snap your ankle or snap your leg because you're picking the wrong line. And it's mm. pretty, it's heavier than what those guys are making it look for sure. 
Yeah, that end section in particular, where there's just these wedges coming at you in the in the opposite direction that a wedge normally does come, and then it's warping and 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 going almost dry on that inside section is it's it's freakish to look at. It is, and those guys, as I said, like especially because for me, I thought he won because of the backhand. Uh, he was making it look easy, but for him to to slow down on on such a heavy drawing out wave is, is really tough to do and on your forehand those guys were just check turning and then pulling back up and getting deep and stuff but i don't know jack did make it look pretty good yeah I'm, i mean but i think as well the other aspect for jacob wilcox despite his talent and despite how well he known how well he is known as a surfer he definitely seems like the biggest underdog in that pack going in i mean well, they're all huge profiles but jacob is a freak what do you, what's your thoughts on his like his his skills as a tube rider compared to of the best tube riders in the world? Well, he I mean Jack is one of the best tube riders in the world. He's he stated that from Tahiti. He's won pipe before, um, and just growing up down here in the southwest. I mean we've got some crazy slabs and and the box the performance that he did to beat Philippe in the in the in the last uh, Margaret's event was, you know, incredible. So. Um, He's up there with one of the best tube riders in the world. So, and then Jacob comes along and, and maybe doesn't look as good, but like he's easily as good. You get what I mean? I've seen both those guys at Nalu, um, which is in my eyes the hardest left barrel to ride in the world. And I've seen Jack and Jacob both just master that place like it's a walk in the park. And and, and that uh, Nalu is way harder than Tahiti. It's like the hardest wave in the world to ride. You're dropping down steps and you've got to take a crazy takeoff and then get going on on this thing it's like it's incredible um you might have seen the clip that jacob dropped from a, a drone footage of him back doing this crazy one from nalu it was like yeah um you know so he's a, he's a talent like and that's just purely from growing up around here and certain gas bay box um you know we've got you know the, the list goes on yeah, it's such a breeding ground for psycho tube, tube riders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, before the comp started, I mean, you know all the surfers really well that are in the event. Who did you have your money on? Jay Davies, uh, Jack Robbo, Cal Walsh, or Jacob Wilcox? Oh, I was hoping it was going to be a little bit bigger and Jay Dizzle was going to come through and throw his weight around like all the light guys. Like they're all pretty light. Cal's uh, pretty broad and stuff, but he's not heavy and – and I was hoping Jade be out there on a 6.6 or a 6.8 and it was like 10 or 12 foot and he'd just be, you know, because he, he got the highest scoring wave of the heat, that big one that he got. Um, so I was hoping it was going to be more like that and I was hoping he was going to dominate. But it's hard to go past Jack. I mean, you know, I rate him as one of, if not the best barrel rider in the world. He's up there with Kelly and John for sure. Yeah, he definitely looked like the most comfortable out there, and and I'm actually with you. I was hoping the big silverback gorilla got, got took took a took a win down on the on the youngsters. He needs the money. He's like having to work now on the tugboat, so it's like you know, it's doing it the hardest I think out of the out of the bunch. Yeah, no, and that's that story at the start with um with Jay on the tugboats and and talking about what he's doing now as opposed to the young, younger surfers who still have a, a much longer career in front of them. It was such an interesting, it was such an interesting contrast there. And so as the super coach, or I guess now you're the retired super coach, well, how would you tell surfers to approach this surf 100 format? Oh uh, yeah. Just, I don't know. It's like a hundred minutes is a long time, but you need two, two good ways. But I, I think, um, I reckon if Carl had awaited, he, I thought, 
how that was the plan, the wait for the wave that was going to make it look so much better than everyone else's. And that was Ollie's. If he had been, a, you know, Ollie's wave was incredible, but he kind of mm. like outran it quite quite quickly. But if he if it had been tailed from deep on his smaller board, he would have been, you know, he probably would have got like a ninety something, ninety plus, and yeah. then he would have been in the box seat to get like a, a sit seventy, and then. You know, 100 minutes is a long time, but it goes pretty quick at North Point. It's just inconsistent normally, but there was 36 waves ridden between the four of them, so that's pretty good for North Point. Mm. Yeah, and that was the the probably one of the the biggest narratives going on in the background was that Cal wasn't catching many waves, and it so easily could have been that he waited just that extra five minutes and got that wave of the day, and, and it would yeah. have been the smartest move ever to not catch any. Yeah. Do you think he was in his head a little bit though? What would you have whispered to him if you were out there? I don't know. I was going, there's a big bomb set coming. There's definitely one coming and and he's doing the right thing. He's going to get wave of the day kind of thing. And and that was the thing. But for me, like it was freezing cold, like on the beach, we were freezing. It was like a, you know, we did it on, on dark and it was like four or five degrees when it started. Uh, it warmed up a little bit, but um, he might've just stiffened up a little bit too. You can't really just sit there for for longer than what he did otherwise he you know could have missed that wave and then you know or fallen on it and then it would have been like waited all that time for what for nothing yeah it was funny watching you sit there um on the on the on the inside it was bit, not, you, you you had a blanket mittens um yeah it was hilarious i was comfortable so, don't worry about that what about jack's wave where he fell at the start and it would have been a probably a complete heat sealer in itself and it was another one where he he was t- taking that high line but he just just kind of slipped he definitely got in the rhythm he started good like he got it you know he just kept busy and i guess that's that's the way to do it because you know you you everyone pulled the trigger and then like the rotation goes around and then hopefully the best talented guy is going to come shine through kind of thing in waves like that i mean and he kind of did like, and he fell on two crazy ones. So not just one, like there was another one there that he, he had come through as well, that it was a wider one that kind of like armored on him a little bit. He actually also introduced us into a concept about buying waves off people. He offered Ollie <laughs> Henry 300 bucks for a wave. What a and it got, I know he could, I mean, how much is a wave worth out there? You reckon? Well, that one at Ollie got, I would have paid easy three grand for that thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, it actually got me thinking. Can you imagine a scenario where local heavies are just holding position at, at you know, at their local setups and just selling off waves to people? Like, surely that's going to happen somewhere at some point. Yeah, well, I think it happens a little bit in Bali, doesn't it? Like when they take their Japanese, you know, the surf guides take the Japanese surfers to to lineups and stuff, and they stop guys and go, "This is their wave." You know, that's it, ha- it already happens in Bali for sure. I'm imagining a live auction though. People just throwing out bids as as the set rolls in. Yeah, next level. Wave pool shit, really, isn't it? Kelly's yeah. wave pool, how much is that wave worth? <laughs> yes, exactly. And hey, so what is what happens to a brain like yours when there's been such a huge break in competitive surfing? What goes inside that um, inside that head case of yours? Oh, uh, geez. I've been playing a lot of golf to try and get my um, competitive froth back up because I play comp golf twice a week. And um, But, you know, I had a little froth out the other day when uh ethan won that that event on the goldie at um and it was yeah okay all, all flooded back that's for sure like i was kind of frothing out for, for ethan and steph um but yeah it's i don't know it's it's kind of weird like i hope the gaps i hope the 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 break's a bit longer for myself because then i won't you know when it comes back around i won't be so frothed out but i you know if it was running right now i'd be 
full FOMO. And you've worked with you've worked with Ethan. Can you talk about his potential as a surfer? Guys like him and Oki and um, who else can I think? Kelly, guys that stand on a surfboard and it's a natural flow. You know what I mean? Like Oki doesn't really pump the speed or whatever. He just uses his rail and and he doesn't seem to ever panic on a on a wave kind of thing. It's all just a natural flow. He, Ethan's one of those guys. It's like he stands on a board and and kind of chooses different lines to get his speed and to put his board in places. Um, it's just refreshing to see uh, like a guy that drives different lines and and he's not necessarily going doing the crazy big airs, but he's he's doing turns that no one else can do. So. I love it. I love that. I love the. I love his surfing. Um, everyone's saying it, it's compared to Andy's, but uh, I think it's more polished than Andy's. To be honest, I think he's got better air game. Um, like he's an undercover air guy. He does some pretty sick airs that no one really takes much notice of because they love his mm. rail game so much. I think his biggest downfall was peaking a little bit too early and qualifying. You know, when he did, like back in the day. I mean, imagine him coming on tour for the first time now when he's also big built and like way more headstrong than he was and, and everything like that. I mean, when he qualified, he was coming up against Mick, Mick and Paco, probably his favourite surfers in the world. And all of a sudden, he's, he's this kid, a little kid, 17 years old, and Paco's paddling around and doing donuts and stuff and, and just going, what kid? <laughs> I'm taking I, – I, I need this more than you do kind of thing, so – I don't know. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a really flawless surfer and you're right. Maybe it's just an age thing, but are there any kinks in his armor that you would try and work on if you were coaching with him or work, working with him now? Not really. I mean, that's a, co- a confidence thing maybe, but I think he, he's doing some work with um, Mick Fanning's coach. Um, uh, what is his yeah. name? Um, McNamara, no. Um, yeah, McNamara. Phil. Phil McNamara. Phil, that's it. But yeah, he's doing some work with him and that's probably the best guy for him because if, if he – you know, in my eyes, Mick was never the, the most talented guy, but he was the most work hard and um, and polished and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he, he didn't make mistakes kind of thing. Every time he took off, it was eight points and, uh, and he didn't fall. Like he was just so – he's free surfing level. This is what I always tell my, my guys, have to get to like a Mick Fanning level of where you, you don't need to push the boundary um, – you know, Mick's pushing his free surf, his competitive surfing to 80% and 80% is way good enough to win events kind of thing. Mm. So you've got to get your, your, without falling, you know. So, and then when he gets into fifth gear and he, and he's pushing the boundaries, he's, he's going for a 10 or a 9.5 if he, if he needs that score. So. Yeah, for sure. Consistency when, wins events, I guess. A hundred percent. And Mick was the best of like swallowing his pride and going, I don't need two eights in this heat. I need two sixes to, because the conditions are really hard, I'm going to just get the job done, and I'll, you know, I rise when I have to, kind of thing. And and a lot of guys don't get that. Like, you know, they just kind of out there, just going, oh, Gabby just had two eights, I'd need two nines. You know, that was in the heat four, and and they get carried away in the emotions of wanting to shine in everything. But Mick was just going, no, I'll be there, I'll be there day's end, kind of thing. And and you got guys got to get their heads around that. You know, it's 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 winning the battles, not the war, kind of thing. Yeah. And just to shift back now, what do you think about Surf 100? Is there any any matchups or scenarios that you'd like to see in the Surf 100 format? Uh, geez. I'd love to see um like a couple of the old boys get out there at like yeah. uh, like um you know some old crazy rivalries like Potts and Gurr and 
And imagine the shit talk that'd be going on with those guys. I mean, there was enough shit talk with these guys at North Point, but imagine the old school guys like Tom Carroll and and like because I tell you what, the 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 competitive surfing these days compared to the competitive surfing back in those days, what those guys used to get up to is gnarly. Are you just are you talking about the the verbal battles that went on in heats and and around heats? Yeah, and just like the waxing up, like soaping guys' waxes, and like oh. you know, I was, I was in Japan when Gur and um, Potts have their like they're poking each other's boards in the water in a heat, like <laughs> just going at each other. It was gnarly. It was it's you know, there's not that any there's none of that stuff anymore. Everyone's all friends and all la la, and you know, I want the, yeah. the you know the Kelly Kelly Andy rivalry where like they you know. Andy hated him. That's what I want yeah. to see. I want to see some hate and some real rivalries come back into the sport kind of thing. Who was your number one rival? Who would you try and, and, and dial up for a Surf 100 heat if you wanted to get back to your fiercest competitive moment? Oh, it was probably Andy if, we, if I could do it again with the if was around. I mean, he brought the best out of my surfing 100%. I felt way more relaxed because all the pressure was on him. Mm. Um, and I think I still hold the best record against him. I like beat him nine times to his eight out of me. And I don't, I don't know if that counted in four man heats or not, but we drew each other a lot in, in a few years. Cause I was stuck in that middle seat with back in the old days where, you know, if you're the top, you get the middle seat and then a wild card kind of thing. And, um, and I had a crazy run against him beating him like five times in a row in the first opening rounds when I was beating, but then he'd go on to win the event. Kind of thing. But, you know, I, put him in the in the losers round a few times but um which was the sweetest was it sunset uh yeah for sure sunset is, i mean he the whole thing you know he was on a on a crazy roll of sunset like i was the only guy that to, to beat andy at sunset in three years like i won and then he won and then i won again and he got second to me both times it was like it was a crazy rivalry we had. I was like, you know, and as I said, I was so much more relaxed. All the pressure was on him and um, and I just, I felt like my, my surfing rose to a level that I didn't even knew I had kind of thing to to get to. So I loved it. And he wasn't shy of, of um, some competitive antics and, and a bit of attitude and shit talking. Did you get, did you get a lot of that? Oh, no. The, the first year we got on tour, we had a, almost a punch up on the beach in Brazil. Like he was a cocky bugger when he got on tour like he had a five mick campbell me um i think someone else like just because he just couldn't deal with the fact that he got beaten by someone that's probably well i can admit it like way less talent but you know i just outthought him and just kind of picked better waves and kind of grinded him out and then um yeah he didn't like that at the end and um you know he mouthed off i said who the fuck are you anyway you know you know you just first year on tour and you want to win all this shit it's like you know get a life mate and then he dropped off tour and then came back a completely different human like and everyone liked him and like he was different he wasn't cocky and he was so much more focused and like he took his losses way better but he didn't lose much when he came back he was like lethal so that was the year he won the u.s open and the you know back to back back in the day there was a a six-star QS event, and the next week there was a, a CT event in Huntington Beach. You may be a bit young, Danny. <laughs> I remember. It, it was uh, two events back-to-back, and he won them both that year, so he was lethal. 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 He was lethal.